Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
um, all of um, my co-hosts. Uh, right now we got uh, my good co-host, Josh, on the line. What's going on, buddy? What is up? What is up? How's it going? Oh, it's going well, man. It's going well. Um, I want to tell my audience we got a huge show tonight. We got economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for townhall.com, Newsmax, and LiveZet, uh, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. Dr. Michael Bussler, PhD, will be calling in. We will also be having businessman, investor, legislator, political advisor, presidential elector for Donald Trump and Mike Pence, president of the Arizona Republican Assembly, legislative district chairman, member of the Maricopa County Executive Guidance Committee, candidate for AZ GOP state party chairman, Arizona GOP member at large, and activist calling in. Yes, he does have that long of a resume. Yes, he is very incredible. I saw him speak over the weekend. This guy has a story, and this guy has a novel of a resume. This guy is beyond impressive. So we're very excited to hear from him. Um, you know, as, uh, you know, the breaking news and all that's going on, you know, there's so much. Um, we've got our other co-host here with us, uh, director Gianni Rodriguez. Yeah, how are you, Rory? Doing well, doing well. Good to have you on. Good to have Absolutely you on. Absolutely, all the time. Absolutely. It's so good to have you here. Um, and uh, we're, we're all on the air. Our guests will be calling in shortly. Um, I do want to get to, you know, Trump did sign an order today for families. And, when we, you know, all the whining with the Democrats and all this rigmarole and, and the mess at the border. And, you know... Obviously, you know, Trump knows that he has to enforce the law, but at the same time, we do. he does have a heart, just like all of us conservatives do. Most of us, at least, have a heart. But, you know, there, there's laws, too. But, you know, Trump putting uh, in this bill into effect, uh, you know, is reasonable. Uh, it won't separate families. You know, it will do uh, the, the, the nice moral thing. Um, and, you know, we're just going to have to see how it goes. But he spoke on it earlier. Uh, I'm going to play the clip real quick. Uh, one, three. Thank you very much. Uh, we're signing an executive order. I consider it to be a very important executive order. It's about keeping families together while at the same time being sure that we have a very powerful, very strong border and border security will be equal, if not greater, than previously. So we're going to have strong, very strong borders, but we're going to keep the families together. I didn't like the sight or the feeling of families being separated. Uh, There's a problem that's gone on for many years, as you know, through many administrations, and we're working very hard on immigration. It's been uh, just left out in the cold. People haven't dealt with it, and we are dealing with it. So step by step, just like we dealt with North Korea, we dealt with Iran, we dealt with an economy that was heading in the wrong direction, we dealt with a lot of different problems. Uh, this is one that has been gone on for many decades. So we're keeping families together, and this will solve that problem. At the same time, we are keeping a very powerful border, and it continues to be a zero tolerance. We have zero tolerance for people that enter our country 
illegally. Uh, with that, I'd ask uh, Mike Pence, Vice President, if you'd like to say anything. Well, thank you, Mr. President. And, uh, I think what uh, the President's made clear is we believe it's a false choice between whether we are a country of law and order, a country with borders, and a country that demonstrates the compassion and the heart of the American people and respect for families. By taking this action, the President will make it possible for us to continue engage in enforcing the law against individuals who violate our law, come into our country illegally, but now we'll be able in that prosecution uh, in the immediate days forward to, to keep families together as that goes forward. But we are calling on Congress to change the laws in this regard and in a broad range of areas that will secure our borders and give us strength and confidence that we are once again going to take the steps necessary uh, to end the crisis of illegal immigration in America. I think the word compassion comes into it, but it's still equally as tough, if not tougher. Uh, Secretary Nielsen, I just thank you for your leadership, sir. We look forward and expect the House to act this week. Uh, we ask them to do their job. The laws need to be changed. This is a problem that President after President has dealt with for decades. This one is willing to stand up and fix it. We ask Congress to do their part. Thank you, sir, for your leadership. Thank you very much. Great job. Okay, you're going to have a lot of happy people. Yeah. This has been going on for 60 years. So there you have it, President Trump signed an order, you know, uh, he is, you know, doing something that should be making the Democrats happy, but they are finding ways to still bitch about it and saying, well, this isn't good enough confirmation. This doesn't do anything. This isn't going to get us anywhere. I saw Bernie Sanders get interviewed earlier, and the guy totally is oppositional, so is every other Democrat, but these are the people whining to Trump trying to help these kids and these families, and that's what he did, and now and, and that's, it's still not good enough. I mean, you know, it's absurd. You know, when does it end? I, go ahead, Josh. I don't – I mean, I don't think it ever does, if I'm being honest. I will say I, I was very um, pleased with, uh, you know, that, especially that, that clip there and just Trump's he acted very fast. He didn't have to sit on it. He made his decision. Um, you know, even though I think it's, there's a lot of moving politics there, I, I, I think especially in the short term it was the right decision, as well as he called for Congress to, to do something permanent about it. Uh, I, thought that was a, yeah. I thought that was the biggest move of everything that he said was that he called for Congress multiple times that they need – like executive orders should not be – you know, this is not what they're supposed to be for but when Congress is poor like they are. And now – but he's calling on Congress to do something. Right. No, I, 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 absolutely. And, you know, and the way he says it, like, here's, here's another way. He, said, he says it so nicely. Like, he's so calm about it. He's being so nice to the Democrats. And it's, it's just they want to just throw it back in his face. I mean, I can't even understand it whatsoever. Uh, play this clip real quick, though. Two, four. Uh, we're meeting right now on immigration, and uh, we are very strong at the border. We're very strong on 
security. We want security for our country. The Republicans want security and insist on security for our country. And we will have that. At the same time, we have compassion. We want to keep families together. It's very important. I'll be signing something in a little while that's going He's to so do that. And the people in this room want to do that. And they're working on various pieces of legislation to get it done. But I'll be doing something that's somewhat preemptive, but ultimately will be matched by legislation, I'm sure. Uh, we're having a lot of problems with Democrats. They don't want to vote for anything. They don't care about lack of security. They really would like to have open borders where anybody in the world can just flow in, including from the Middle East, from anybody, anywhere. They can just flow into our country. Tremendous problems with that. Tremendous crime caused by that. We're just not going to do it. I do want to say that because we're all so busy, and I just mentioned to the congressmen and the senators in the room that we are going to cancel and postpone tomorrow's congressional picnic. We have a congressional picnic tomorrow, and I was just walking over to the Oval Office, and I said, you know, it doesn't feel right to have a picnic for Congress when we're working on doing something very important. We have many things that are important. We're talking about trade. We're talking about many, many things. But it didn't feel exactly right to me. So we will be officially postponing the congressional picnic for tomorrow. We'll make it another time when things are going extremely well. And they are going for the country extremely well. We have record-setting numbers in every way economically. But we want to solve this immigration problem, which is going on for 40 years more. It's been going on forever, and we want to see if we can solve it. So we are canceling or postponing the congressional picnic tomorrow. And here's the thing. What a legend. Exactly. You have a guy as strong and courageous and, you know, a guy with so much motivation and skill set that is coming in to fix a mess that has been going on for generations and generations and generations. I mean, this, this whole illegal immigration and this whole matter and this issue is, is something that has been going on for far too long. I mean, illegal immigration is a big problem. And, you know, the fact that Trump did this nice gesture today uh, for, uh, you know, families and their kids not being separated and he's not even getting credit from the Democrats. I, 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 it's, he could cure cancer, and they would say, what about diabetes? Can you cure? Like, nothing's ever enough. And here's the thing, Josh. It, 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 it's absolutely sinful that uh, this guy isn't praised. Trump isn't praised enough. Trump isn't given the credit he deserves. He's the best president in history. Nobody can do what he can do. He's a profound machine. I mean, absolutely, and, you know, just look at his gosh darn track record. That's the thing that drives me nuts the most is that they just complain step by step. They forget about what he's already done as a president, and they just complain yeah. about the new thing. The media complains about the new thing, and then when that new thing isn't as cool to complain about, then they move on to the next new thing, you know, uh, you know three days later. It's, you know, yeah. he basically consistently – Beats whatever they're talking about. He kicks their butt, and then they have to move on to the next subject. It's like you think that they would learn that, oh, we're getting our butts kicked, and everybody thinks we're stupid except for, you know, the people that already think our way. Like, we're not, they're not convincing anyone of anything. That's one of the things I'm probably most like, excited about 
with the the way the stupid media is being is that they're not convincing anyone that doesn't already believe in what they believed in beforehand. So they're not really doing anything besides making noise. Right. Very, very well said. Uh, Real quick, Josh, I want to welcome our very special guest to the show. Um, Economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for townhall.com, Newsmax, LiveZet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. Dr. Michael Bussler, Ph.D. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, you know, we're just kind of uh, going over, uh, you know, yeah. the bill Trump signed today. Uh, that is actually, you know, a really nice thing uh, to do uh, moral-wise, uh, you know, but it's there's still laws to it. And, you know, yeah. this is essentially – and this is what the Democrats wanted, and now they're not even giving him credit, and they're still bitching for, uh, you know, what he's uh, – for, for, for the, I mean, this is what they wanted. He signed it, and, and they still find ways to attack him and say, well, it, this, isn't, this isn't a, you know, an official, an official document. This, this doesn't confirm anything. I mean, they'll always discredit him. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> uh, what President Trump is trying to do – um, is solve problems. Remember, President exactly. Trump history. Here, here's the yeah. thing, real, real quick, Michael. Yeah, yeah. The, the, here's the thing. I mean, t- Donald Trump, with his courage, with his blood, sweat, and tears, is cleaning up an illegal immigration mess that has been going on for yeah. decades, for years <clears throat> and years. You know what I mean? Like it's exactly a right. mess. Yes. But go ahead. I want to yeah. continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, President Trump is not a politician. He's a business person. As a business person, his primary concern is getting results. He's not going to, as a politician might, uh, when you have a problem, you uh, uh, call a conference for October. Everybody meets for a while. They go back and we say, well, we'll meet again in January to discuss this. Years go by and nothing happens. Trump, President Trump wants to solve problems. As a business person – the way you bring people to the table quickly is to create a sense of urgency. And what he does in his actions, numerous, uh, look at what he did with uh, North Korea. Uh, he tried to do this with, uh, doc, with immigration, with DACA. He said, look, I'm going to let this expire in six months. You've got six months to come up with a solution. Uh, and I thought he had both sides to the table until a federal court said you can't do that. And then the pressure went, went off. So what he's trying to do here, uh, look, he's a humanitarian, too. It rips him apart, too, to see children taken from parents. But the thing is, if you do something like this, now you bring everybody to the table. He signed an executive order. I believe it gave gave a a specific amount of time for Congress to come up with a solution or it's going to go back to the way it was. Yeah, and, and, you know, my theory is, you know, us conservatives, we have hearts, at least most of us do, but at the same time, sure. there's laws that people have to abide by, and there's regula- there's regulations people have to follow, and, you know, it's, it's, tough, it's tough luck. I mean, you know, in, a lot, in all yeah. these liberal left-winning people want to feel bad for uh, people breaking the law, crossing the border. I mean, there's, we can't go into other countries and do this. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where we're the most generous, 
most taken advantage of, most entitled country <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and you know it 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 uh happens in numerous uh issues. Um you look at the uh the trade uh wars that may uh erupt here. Um you had another situation where uh everybody favors free trade. President Trump and virtually every economist but free trade I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Something <laughs> so, something something yeah, yeah. but no I I I'm not I'm not the biggest fan only on certain things I I agree with free trade on, but very rare. Most economists, though, uh, tend to favor the free trade concept, and the reason is relatively simple. Uh, Both trading partners make out best by producing what you can make efficiently and then trading what you're not so efficient at making. For instance, the U.S. has a perfect climate for growing wheat. Uh, With very few resources, we get high yields, large amounts of wheat, we're not very good at growing coffee. We don't have a good climate. We'd use a lot of resources Rich. and not get much. Take a country like Colombia and South America. It's exactly the opposite. They have a, uh, a climate that's perfect for growing coffee. They get high yields. If they tried to grow wheat, uh, they would have yeah. tremendous resources and not get much out. So what happens? The U.S. grows the wheat. Colombia grows the coffee. And then you trade. You get more wheat and coffee between the two. And it it benefits both countries as long as the trade is free and fair. The problem is the trade agreements the U.S. has entered into, and they're not fair. It's like we're playing a baseball game with with Canada. We sign NAFTA. We feel a little badly for them. So we get three outs per inning. They get four outs per inning because we feel badly for them. After a couple of years, we start to notice we're losing every one of the ball games. So we go to Canada re- at the G7 and say, can't get four outs anymore. And the reason I've backed off my, you know, I, yeah, yeah. the reason I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of, of free, somewhat of free trade, I, I am a fan of. But at the same time, sure. we've been taken advantage of for so many years. Absolutely. We've been, rip, we've been ripped off. We've been scammed. You know, you all Absolutely. of the above, and it that's has true. not been re, it has not been reciprocal. That's the word Trump uses often. Exactly which is right. a Great word. It's a great word to define it, because um, and 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 then when Trump says our the leaders, you know, for instance, China, they've had great smart leaders for a long time that know how to take <laughs> advantage of our past idiotic. Uh, presidents, uh, you know, the, the past couple at least. That's exactly but, right. Uh, That's exactly right. You know, and, and I'm, I, I'm, you know, here's my, my problem with with trade. You know, there, there's a lot of these countries that, and they'll lie too. Like for instance, you see Canada in denial. You see Canada making yeah. Justin Trudeau trying to mess with us and saying, oh, the U.S. is making up lies about our trade system. Bullshit, Trudeau. You're a liar. You know you've been taking – I mean, come on. I mean, but that's right. just one example. But when they don't yeah. take accountability for it, that that's – when you don't have a, a world leader or a leader that – you know, I know you have to stick up for your country, but at the same time, you've got to be fair, just like Trump says. I mean, things have exactly. to be – you know, fair and re- reciprocal. And the problem is, we sign an agreement with the European Union. They make a car in Germany or Italy 
sell it over here, we put a 2.5% tariff. We sell an yeah. American car in Europe, it's a 10% tariff. So yeah, that, we get that kind of imbalance. Everything. Exactly. And it's the same thing with, with Canada. We put small tariffs on much of what they import uh, in here. We're very efficient at producing dairy products. Uh, as a result, yeah. we, put, we sell the dairy products in Canada. They put it up to a 300, 300%. That's triple the yep. price of the, the product as just a, a, ta- a tariff. As a result of that, our money flows out of the country. None of their money yeah. comes in. We have this negative balance of trade, hundreds of billions yeah. of dollars of U.S. wealth flowing out yeah. of the country because these agreements are not fair. President Trump said, I'm not going to take years to resolve this. I, I want to create a sense of urgency, bring everybody to the table quickly, and get agreements that are now fair. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to start slapping tariffs on things um, and start uh, letting countries feel what we've, we've been feeling. That will bring them to the table quickly. If they try to retaliate, as China did, Trump will hit back harder. And the bottom line is they need us way more than we need them. Exactly. We put tariffs on say, steel. I've, yep. I've been saying, you put tariffs on continue, I'm sorry, but I've been saying that say, we put, for a long time that they need us way more than we need them. Same with Mexico, same with all these other countries that are trying Canada, to threaten us. China, all of them. Yeah, Mexico, uh, all of them. Uh, yeah. But go ahead, uh, with alum- so you we were put, talking about aluminum and steel. So Trump puts a tariff on aluminum and steel, will raise the price of aluminum and steel and hurt uh, some of the uh, – will stop buying from uh, China. But we have the ability to produce our own aluminum and steel. The other thing is those are, those are intermediate products. So if the price of steel goes up by 25% and there's only 10% steel in a car, it only affects the car price by a couple of percent. When China retaliated, they put high tariffs on end products, and they put it on food. So now their uh, citizens are going to pay more for food. They don't have the ability to produce their own food. That's why they're buying it from, from, from us. Yeah. So we can live without their steel. They can't live without our food. Trump is doing the right thing. Bring these people to the the table. Some tariffs may go on. Some are scheduled for July. I believe even if they go on, they'll be on for only a short time, maybe a few weeks, until the people, the other countries come to the table and negotiate something that's fair and reciprocal. Oh, 100%, absolutely. And, (laughs) you know, what I want to ask you is, Yes. Don't you agree? And your and your strong opinion. I want I want to get into your background yep. and, and and your life and your sure. life and your bio in a second because it's a you have a novel of sure. a resume. It's very impressive. Um, but what, what I you. do want to ask you, and and in my strong opinion, I I believe a lot of our trade deficits and a lot of you know what's going on today with being taken advantage of. Uh, NAFTA had a lot to do with this. Don't you agree? NAFTA was one of the worst deals ever signed in history, if not the worst. For the U.S. It was great for Canada and Mexico because everything right. fa- favored them. And as a result, they really prospered, and we have money flowing out of the country, and it's causing us problems. We can't keep having our wealth flow out of, out of the country because Trump of these Trump unfair Bill agreements. Clinton. 
signed by Bill Clinton. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, it, it's one of those things. Though I know my 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 co-host Gian, Gianni, you want to respond? Go ahead. Well, yeah, I don't yeah. know too much about uh, Trey, but from what I heard, I'm pretty uh, impressed. Sure. And I think that you know we need to stop being taken advantage of and you know being used. I think we have to make sure that uh, it's a fair playing ground because you know for too long that's been going on. Um, but exactly. I think, you know, what Trump is doing, you know, is very right. You know, I don't know what side of the aisle I'm on specifically on this, but as long as everything is fair, I believe that's the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, and that's what ahead. President Josh, Trump ahead. is trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I boy, I couldn't agree more with what you said. I'm very uh, pro-free trade, but uh, obviously – and what Trump has said multiple times, he believes in free trade, but it has to be yeah. fair trade. Um, fair. And uh, exactly. yeah, man, I, I agree with everything you said. And I, I, don't, I guess here's a here's a question that I would ask, uh, especially from like a libertarian perspective of people that think that we should just if we you know do if we just um, you know take all tariffs away and go to a strictly free trade way of doing business as a country. Uh, that that would be beneficial to us without really addressing the fair trade part. If we just went strictly free trade, um, you know, no exceptions, basically, do you, would you see that as any, like, what problems would that have? Well, frankly, he, um, I, I would favor that. So if we eliminated all tariffs and our trading partners also eliminated all tariffs, you would end up with, with a free trade situation where um, everybody ends up benefiting and we wouldn't have this huge negative balance of, of trade. Now, you're not going to have a, a, an exact uh, even with every country. Some you'll have a surplus, some a deficit. But let the market work its way through and deter- let each country um, determine what it can produce most efficiently um, using the smallest amount of resources to get the largest amount of output, so approve, uh, um, produce efficiently, and then for what they're not good at producing, trade, and other countries will develop their own specialty uh, products. Everybody moves up as a result of this. Now, let me also say, so if it sounds so good, who, 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 why would people oppose free trade? And the reason is, if you're making some products now, and another country can start doing it more efficiently, then we're going to start buying theirs. We end up with um, a structural unemployment problem, which means um, some industries um, may not produce products anymore and end up uh, having some unemployment, and the unemployed workers probably don't have the skills to take the jobs of the uh, products we do produce efficiently. So that's where the, the problem comes in. It came in for... Trudeau. He said, if I take the tariffs off dairy products, American dairy products will be so inexpensive that Canadian uh, dairy farmers won't be able to compete. And as a result, they're going to lose, lose their jobs. So in order to protect a small amount of producers, the entire uh, country of Canada has to pay more for milk products and dairy products. Um, if we eliminated all the, the tariffs, you would create some structural unemployment problem. And again, that's what the people have an, an issue with. But we should deal with that problem as we will. Free trade ends up benefiting everybody, in my view. 
Now, kind of, kind of a follow-up question to that. What if America specifically took away all tariffs, but then other countries kept them? Can't do that. That's the problem we're in now. We're, we're not. We have small gotcha. tariffs. They put big tariffs on, on our products. So we, it has to be an agreement. Neither country will put tariff. And the other thing with China, China manipulates its currency. They, they uh, peg their yuan to the uh, dollar rather than let it float as every, every other country does. You may recall in 2012 when Mitt Romney was running for president, he brought this problem up. China is manipulating its currency, causing a huge uh, negative trade, Im- uh, a trade imbalance with the U.S. We need to do something about it. People recognized it back then. Nobody did anything. Trump gets into office. He says, I'm not kicking the can down the road any further. The uh, American people elected me to solve problems. I'm a business person. I don't, I don't know how to do things politically correctly, and frankly, that's not my main concern. My main concern, Trump said, is to solve problems. I'm going to create a sense of urgency, bring people to the table, and we're going to get these problems solved today. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and uh, <laughs> well, and that's I mean that's the most that's the most important part about it is you know free trade is well and good, but boy does it have to be fair or it, you know it doesn't work it falls apart. Reciprocal, right? Exactly right. It's got to be reciprocal. But, uh, we'll we'll uh, eliminate or at least minimize tariffs if everybody else does the same thing and they let their currency float. It ends up benefiting everybody. And that's what I think Trump is shooting for. He said before he'd, ra- he'd like to see something where there are no tariffs. And ideally, um, from an economist standpoint, ideally, that's, that's what you'd like to have. Politically, it's going to be nearly Im- impossible. But if he can get it as close to being balanced as he can, I think that will help the U.S. and the rest of the world tremendously. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well said. And Josh, if you want to respond to that. Yeah, I mean, boy, I, he, he just keeps saying things <laughs> I agree with. I got, I really, I, I can't, I can't really ask questions when he already answered them all. So uh, Rory, absolutely. I, I guess a kind of a question, kind of a question for you, Rory, when, when you hear that kind of exchange, do you get more excited or more interested in the idea of free trade? If it's fair, like that makes sense to you, right? In, a, in certain aspects, I mean, yes. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, yes, I, yeah, I, I'm, so, yes, certain things. It, I mean, but there, there's also If I may ask limit. you do, yeah, you Go do ahead. seem a little apprehensive about parts of it. Um, yeah. uh, is it because I, of some of the industries story, that... It's a whole story. It would take, it could, I, could, I, could, I could talk about it for an hour. I mean, it would be a whole segment of, <laughs> what I do agree with about trade and what I don't agree with. Sure. Um, but okay. what I really want to get in, what I really want to get into, but yes, but to answer your question, Josh, there were some things that I do agree with, with what you just said. Yes. Um, I, I but uh, Michael, what I really am very impressed about yeah. is, so you do a lot of things. You're a writer for the town hall which is a very popular yeah. uh, news website, a uh, Newsmax, yeah. which is a very popular uh, news website, and LiveZet, which is a very popular news website. Yeah. You're off also the prof- professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. You have your PhD. Yeah. Uh, what haven't yeah. you done? 
<laughs> well, um, I guess one thing I haven't done is uh, be able to get the, the the views I have out a little more in, in, in public and maybe get a little more involved with the national conversation, which is what I'm trying to do now. Right. I love it. And, you know, you're um, you're do you're doing just describe how, you know, you've, you've been you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, if yes. I recall, 30, 30, 40 years. I mean, you've yeah, you've almost been, 40 years. Been, yeah. So you've been uh, a professor for almost 40 years. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and they, um, I, I was I, I was very fortunate uh, in, in my 20s. Um, I developed a corresponding relationship with Milton Friedman, uh, and he ended him. up One of my shaping. Economist ever. Yeah, I mean he's a free market economist. Uh, he really ended up shaping um, a lot of my my views, and I was able to apply what uh, he was able to show me uh, to public policy issues, and I've been able to develop, um, you know, my thoughts. Along those lines, um, me, um, having the relationship I did, I never met him in person, but we exchanged letters. Um, incidentally, the uh, letters are stored in the archives of the library at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. He has his whole uh, writings there, and he did, does have a file of uh, some of the exchanges that, that we had. We're going back in the late 70s. Um, so I was able to, to uh, be influenced by him, and I applied free market economics uh, to public policy. Ronald Reagan was really the first time that some of those theories were able to be applied. Smaller government, lower taxes, less regulation, more freedom in the economy, peace through through strength, uh, those kind of things. Um, and it worked marvelously. You know, the economy was uh, in the 70s in a terrible position. We had stagflation. You had a stagnant economy with inflation, Reagan came in in 1981. In 1982, he passed his tax cut. The economy went on a 25-year growth spurt, with the exception of a little hiccup in 91 and 2001. Essentially, a 25-year growth spurt as a result of Reagan's policies. I believe that Trump is doing things very similar to what Reagan did. And once the economy gets revved up, which it's starting to do in this very quarter, uh, once the economy really gets revved up, we're going to see growth in the four, five, five percent range, maybe for um, a few years, and that's very significant since the U.S. has not had annual economic growth of at least three percent since 2005. We haven't had four percent annual growth since the year 2000. That's the longest period of economic stagnation in U.S. history. Many of our problems today, economic and social, I believe, are a result of this no-growth economy. Trump came in. Since he's been into office, he got in in the first quarter, uh, uh, 2017. But starting in the second quarter, we've been growing at about a 3% rate quarter. The estimate will be out the end of July. The current yeah. quarter, we're likely to be growing in the 4 4.5% range, and that will continue in, into the near future. Well, the Federal Reserve chair, chairman just came out uh, and said the U.S. could see 1960s-style low unemployment without inflation or bubbles. I mean, we're on a roll. 
I agree with that too. And it's, you know, he, he did what Reagan did in the eighties, eighties, what John Kennedy did in the sixties, lower taxes for everybody, including the high income earners. What Obama did was he was more concerned with solving Barack Hussein uh, perceived, Osama. Yeah, with uh, solving perceived social <laughs> in, injustices uh, yeah. than uh, having economic growth. President Trump is going to bring growth back. Americans have forgotten what prosperity feels like. It's been so long since we've had a real prosperous economy. Americans just don't remember prosperity anymore. Starting now and continuing for the next couple of years at least, we're going to start feeling economic prosperity. And and you know what I've you know what I've always said, and, and this is a big argument, and this is a big political debate with the left especially. When yeah. you know tax cuts, tax cuts make the rich richer, make the you know give them all this satisfaction. But you know I've always said. First of all, that's not true. Do they get? Do they? Right. I mean, do they get some? Do they get some sort of relief? Yes. Um, but at the same time, if you look at, you know, let, let, let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, which it's not true, but let's just say the rich did get richer. Yeah. Who 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 hires people? It's corporations, and when corporations exactly. get all of this, get all of these. Um, regulations taken off and get their corporate tax rate cut way down, and they get all these these tax breaks and money. They're able to hire more more employees and give back into the economy. The left fails to and understand can, that. That's exactly right. Look, it, it, it's it's very very simple. We have a capital intensive economy to, today, which means when we're manufacturing things, we don't do things by hand anymore. We have uh, sophisticated manufacturing facilities with robots, even the service industries, you always have a lot of machinery that, that you're working with. So we have a capital-intensive economy. To get the economy to grow, you have to create capital. How do you create capital? It's the, the higher income earners, after they pay their taxes and how much the, they determine what they're going to spend, what's left over, their savings, create capital. So when you cut taxes for the higher income earners, you create capital that leads to expansion. Bill Clinton did this in 1997. The economy wasn't yeah. growing uh, uh, that much. He said, I'm going to cut the capital gains tax rate from 28% down to 20%. The next four years, up till 9-11 in 2001, the economy averaged a 4.5% annual growth rate. So it works. It doesn't matter what president party the president is from. This works, reducing taxes, giving incentives, creating capital, grows the economy. We need economic growth now. We've been stagnant for too long. So, absolutely, 100%. And, and that's, you know, there, there's such a, I mean, you see all the past presidents before of the, some yeah. of the disaster bills they've signed, and it's the next president that has to clean up the mess. Exactly. And Trump, That's exactly look and, and, look, and, you, you, and look what Trump had to do. He had to cut 800, or I think it was over 800 Obama regulations in order to get this perfect economy. I mean, we're almost at 4% GDP. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Obama, Obama yeah. I mean, I, I, Obama, 
economic-wise, uh, he was the worst president. I mean, all, all around, he was the worst president in the history, if you look at facts. Yeah. Um, Ob- Obama, and he's also the biggest fraud ever. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but from an ec- economic he, standpoint, you're exactly right. Uh, he's the first yeah. president in history to serve any His time in office without having at least w- – without at least one year of economic growth of at least 3%. He never had at least 3% growth. And he wasn't concerned about economic growth. He was concerned with solving perceived social injustices. It's an injustice that uh, somebody doesn't have health care. So whether they can afford it or not, we'll give everybody health care. It's an injustice that um, Somebody is, uh, for whatever reason, not working and doesn't have enough money. So we'll give him more welfare. We'll give him more food stamps. Right. Now he has right. less of an incentive to go to work. You get free health care. You get free food and free income. Why should and that's you work? The problem, and that's the problem with socialism. It, we're supposed to be responsible for every, everybody else's problems <laughs> with our hardworking exactly. tax dollars. And a lot of these people, you know, uh, some of them have – I mean, there's a lot of them that uh, have 10 kids and, you know, have uh, all these different uh, take advantage of the system, take advantage of the system. And it's been going on for many years. And Obama was the biggest enabler of that uh, system out of any president. I mean, food stamps and welfare were at an all time high under him. Yes. Under Obama. Yeah. Um, And he really looked at you really look at the entitlement. And they think we owe them something. They think hardworking people should pay for the less fortunate. But, no, that's not the American dream. The American dream is to work your way up and make something out of yourself and do it yourself. (laughs) Be independent. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. President Obama's view was that the American people – have a social responsibility to all other American people and maybe even people um, around the world. The more conservative view is that we focus on individual responsibility. People should take responsibility for themselves. And look, if somebody has a problem, we're, we're, everybody has a heart. If somebody has a problem, uh, a disability, uh, a sickness or something, everybody wants to, to help. But it's the people that are physically and mentally able to support themselves that say, look, I don't, I don't want to, or I'm not going to for whatever reason. And those people are enabled by all of these social programs. You know, it's the, it's the old story. Uh, Somebody's hungry and he approaches a fisherman. Well, the Democrats would say, let me just give you some fish. Now the problem is that that creates two problems. One, the, the person is dependent on the fisherman for food, and now the fisherman has to produce food not just for himself but for somebody else. The conservative view would be if somebody is hungry and he approaches a fisherman, the fisherman gives him a fishing rod and shows him how to catch his own food. Then you, neither, then you don't have any problems in the long term. He's taking care of himself, and the fisherman just has to produce food for uh, himself. It's the concept of individual responsibility that President Trump – and the more conservative view uh, tends to push. Hey, yeah, I got a question uh, for the for the special guest. Uh, so Go ahead. I got two things. First thing, socialism only yeah, works yeah. in the Bronze Age. Like this isn't Jesus and his followers or the twelve disciples. Like this is a country right. with a progressive society. Uh, number two, yeah. what do you think? I agree. The middle class in these days would actually look like 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 I heard you say the whole 
uh, you know, I don't think it was you and Rory that said that uh, they said it might look like the 60s or something like that. Well, well the 60s in terms of how good unemployment Gross. is and, and inflation. Yeah, so when these jobs or uh, employment comes, you know, and unemployment uh, goes lower, what would it? What would America look like at that point? Like, what about minority communities and things of that nature, which I know jobs are definitely coming up higher. Do you think we will see a change in how we see, you know, lower class people? Like, if all people were to become middle class and things of that nature because of jobs, you know, jobs are coming in like never before, how will yeah. the uh, lower class look? Like, will it look like the middle class now or – like I want to see what is the picture of that in uh, in your thoughts. Yeah, so so um, lower income earners uh, are lower income because they don't have opportunity, and you don't have opportunity because the economy is not growing. Once the economy starts hitting this four or five percent growth rate, what's going to happen is there's a tremendous number of underemployed people. Most of my students who graduated in the last six, eight, ten years were lucky to find one good job. Many of them took a job for which they were overqualified. As a result, the other jobs where you don't need a college degree, they filled so people without college degrees couldn't get jobs. They dropped out of the labor force and became discouraged workers. And that ends up creating a lot of the, especially in the inner cities, a lot of problems with lower income. Once the economy starts growing, the underemployed start finding better jobs that they're qualified for, that leaves the jobs where you don't necessarily have to have a college degree open. These people that couldn't find opportunity before, lower-income people couldn't find opportunity, suddenly they find opportunity, they come back into the labor force, they start earning income, they start feeling better about them, them themselves, um, that they, they know that they're taking care of themselves and they're not dependent on the government to take care of them, as some of these people have been locked in for generations. I live near Atlantic City, and they have the similar inner city problems that most cities uh, have. Um, and uh, th through my kids and going to high school, getting to know a lot of these kids, th all they're looking for is a way out of this. And the way out is through getting good opportunity. They tell me that you know, they're locked into a welfare situation. Their parents were locked into that. Their grandparents were locked into that. There's no opportunity. Once we get this economic growth, there should be opportunity for everybody, and it will encourage people to improve themselves because you'll see, hey, there's a real good-paying good job. I just need to learn a skill. Let me go to community college or let me go somewhere to learn a skill. Now I qualify for that opportunity. It's positive for everybody. The, the, if you really want to help the lower income um, people have a lot of growth in the economy, create opportunity for people to work their way out. Look, I'll tell you personally, my parents were immigrants. I was born into a very low income uh, family. I, I learned that education was the key to get out of this. Uh, as Jesse Jackson often said, education is the way out of um, poverty and once I, I got education and the economy was growing, I was able to take advantage of opportunity. That's what a growing economy will look like. It will have opportunity, and it will provide incentive for people to improve themselves, and you'll start to get some of these uh, tremendously bad social problems in inner cities. They'll start to go down as people 
um, uh, start to work, feel productive or earning income, uh, start to own their own homes, take pride in, in ownership, it ends up benefiting everyone. Well, yeah, I think that's totally true. And um, uh, I really think that, especially what you said about minorities, like if you look at the black community before LBG, LBJ's Great Society, we were doing well in the 60s. I mean, even <laughs> if you watch uh, older movies, you know, about Martin Luther King yeah. or, you know, uh, Malcolm X, all of them, if you look at their houses, they look very like middle class people. I mean, yeah. you know, they weren't begging for anything, and I think that's an, um, a real good thing. And uh, I think also, you know, to help the youth as far as, you know, in the future, because millennials, you know, are the most jobless people on the planet, you know, when it comes to yeah. generation. And I think one of the biggest things is vocational schools, because not everybody Absolutely. likes college. Not everybody is educated in the books uh, right. and things like that. There are some people that are great with their hands, and I think I think one of the biggest and things we need that those are going people. on is – yeah, we need those people, like, uh, you know, a janitor, like, or you know, people like that that's going to clean up after yourself. And I think one of the biggest things is America, and we've got so spoiled, yeah. and we've got so smart and high stability that, you know, we think all of us are to be the top people, and all of us are better than everybody else. And what's going on is those jobs, it's like, you know, mining and things of that nature, it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to do those, those are loser jobs, like, no, like we need all those people, no. you know, like who's going to get the oil, you know, all this stuff when it comes to cars. Who, who's going to build the houses? About, who's going to build the, yeah. the buildings? Uh, you know, exactly. we need skilled people to be able to do that. And you're, you're right. Everybody is not cut out to, to go to college, but everybody needs something that is unique to them, a skill that they have that they can take out into the workforce. We're always going to be building houses. We're always going to be building buildings. We're always going to have things that need to be repaired. There are certain skills that are needed for that. And if you're not um, college, uh, college is not right for you and it's not right for everybody. Then you, you simply learn a skill that you have an interest in, you like doing, and those people are needed also. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, I agree with everything you just said. And I was like, you know, I watched an, uh, a TV series about, like, America and about its beginning. And I'm just looking at these, like, hardworking men, you know, that were building railroads, yep. that were, you know, digging tunnels. And, you know, a lot of them even died. And I was reading how, you know, how they discovered oil and, you know, all this yep. stuff. And I'm like, if it was for none of those hardworking men, none of this stuff will be here like we have it now. And I think a lot of celebrities exactly. forget that. A lot of celebrities forget who builds their houses. It's surely not them. You know, and I think that's one of the exactly. biggest things where we have to go back to the root of the community. You know, where I'm from New York City. So, you know, city folk can be kind of, you know, looked down at country people. <laughs> but they forget yep. who supplies all their food, you know. Who supplies all this yep. stuff, you know, and they forget that. And I think that's one of the things where uh, I'm glad that America is not um, as spoiled as we used to be. I'm kind of glad we went through Obama because it showed us that, hey, yep. we're screwed up. Like, we we think we have everything, <laughs> you know, we think we can just cater. And that's why Obama did the whole, you know, LGBT rights, which, you know, I'm not against that. But it's why he was – that was his focus on, you know, a bunch of bullshit, yeah. you know. It was nothing about the American workers because we had nothing else to focus on because we thought it was perfect. But I believe with Trump, I believe the American dream is returning and hard workers are returning and people were their grandfather or their father, you know, back then in the 50s and the 60s and the 40s, you know, used to work at this plant, that that's coming back, you know, where it's like, all right, we're back at the plant. 
And not everybody is supposed to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody, like you said, is supposed to be, you know, in government and things like that. There are some people who are legitly called to work at a plant because they like it and their family and their father. And they're good at it. And if that's what they like, that's what we have to focus and not, you know, trying to be a billionaire, which is good, but some people don't. Some people like living in a small town, working at a plant and having a nice family. Absolutely. And as long as we have a growing, healthy economy where people have choices of what to do and where there's opportunity in front of them, um, they'll end up taking advantage of that opportunity. And if somebody is, has uh, been collecting money from the government, if, if there's opportunity and they're working, it ends up really helping because they don't need government help anymore. Plus they're earning their own income and they're contributing some to the taxes. So we have a huge deficit problem. Uh, It's going to require a lot of uh, uh, initiatives to solve um, but if we can bring some of these discouraged workers back into the workforce and get the underemployed workers uh, uh, in jobs where they can take advantage of the skills and the education that they have, everybody's income ends up going up. Um, it solves the economic problems, and I believe it's going to solve a lot of the social problems. Some of the things we have with a lot of the, the drug use and crime, it's, it's partially, I think, a result of people not having opportunity um, and, and, uh, and not having jobs and uh, having a lot of spare time on their hands that's un, unproductive, and it just leads to bad, bad outcomes. So we need this high-growth economy, and Trump is determined to get it quickly. Yeah, and I like exactly what you just said about the crime. I mean, even if you look back to the days of the Italian mafia, that tells you why they created their stuff because when they came here and they immigrated here and things like that, there were hardly any jobs at that time. No so now what are they going to do? That's right. Yeah, yeah, and that's what are they going to do? And that even coming from uh, Italy, that's what the whole thing was for, you know, to create money. And that's what gangs are for is to create money for their own community so they're willing to steal and do whatever to feed their community. And that was the whole point. Um, but I believe, uh, you know, in which, by the way, most gangs and crimes are in democratic cities, by the way. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I believe that when jobs are returning to, you know, every community that you're not going to see, need to see crimes. You're not going to have to see white supremacist groups. You're not going to have to see KKK. None of that because everybody's happy. Everybody's got jobs. Nobody's blaming this race or that race for taking away their stuff. Everybody has a job uh, to clinch onto, And that's what I believe. I, I yeah, well, agree with you completely. You, you know, without the uh, growth and, and if people are, are stagnant and they don't have opportunity, uh, human nature says, well, I'm going to blame somebody else for that. And I start blaming somebody else because, hey, he's got a job. I could be taking that job. So I'm, I'm against that right. person. So suddenly now yeah. you get fighting between p- people that you don't need. Yeah, and you know what a big problem is, and I want to mention this, and, you know, it somewhat relates is, you know, an example, you know, Starbucks is closing 150 stores in big cities, and, you know, due due to high minimum wage increases and strict regulations, and this is just one of many examples of places that, where Absolutely. the Democrats are trying Democrats are trying to fight for this minimum wage, but all that's going Disaster. to do is going to lay off workers and going to get automatic checkout machines 
instead of having people check you out because they're not. I mean, eventually it's going to be all technology because who wants to? That's no exactly owner right. wants to pay. No owner wants to pay somebody fifteen dollars an hour. And when these Democrats push that narrative, it just ruins. It makes the economy worse because what does a business owner do? He wants to save as much money as possible and he wants to make money exactly. for himself. So he's gonna, you know, not he's not gonna hire all these employees. So. I I hate that whole narrative, and you see these uh, communists marching through the streets, making demands. It's absurdity. It is absurdity. Raising the minimum wage is the worst thing you can do to low-income people, because as you just said, it severely reduces the number of jobs available, one, and it encourages people not to – to seek uh, to learn a skill or get higher education say hey i don't have to do any know anything and i can get 15 dollars an hour so it ends up creating more people looking for jobs fewer jobs available a huge unemployment uh problem and you're you're also right business people will look to replace labor with capital instead of uh, at the local convenience store um or mcdonald's even instead of going in and talking to a uh a person to take your order, you now go with a touchscreen and you pay with a credit card at the touchscreen. So instead Donald's having five people working there, they only need two people working there. The higher minimum wage is yep. disastrous for just the people you're trying to help. 100% right. Rory, if you, don't, go ahead, if you don't mind if I interject here, yeah, this is one of the things I'm very passionate about, specifically when uh, we're talking about education from K to 12. I think it's extremely depressing to me. I was homeschooled, so I got a lot of uh, edu- this type of education, but the fact that kids yeah. from K to 12 aren't taught that you can become a multimillionaire being a trash man or be like the fact that we're not being like entrepreneurship, like all kinds of stuff like that. Like you can become a multimillionaire from creating, you know, learning how to, you know, going to machinist school and learning how to create a specific type of bolt. I have a friend who all he does is make one type of part for um, uh, firefighters for their hoses. And he's a multimillionaire because of it, because he's built his own business doing this. It's, uh, you know, and he's it's, learned it's how to make whack, a better you know. part at a better price and beat the competition, and he understands how the system w- works. That's the kind of opportunities we have to give people. Absolutely, and I mean, and it, and it goes, and it goes so far as instead of being taught that in schools coming up, they're being taught that go, you know, go to UC Berkeley and get your degree in uh, uh, lesbian <laughs> dance, and someone will hire you because you know. You went to UC Berkeley. Why wouldn't you got good grades? You must know something. That's not how the workforce works. And, you know, no. there's a, that's why millennials don't have jobs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, the millennial generation, as I said before, we haven't had prosperity in so long. I have two kids that are millennials, three kids that are millennials. And, uh, you know, they, they don't understand what true prosperity feels like. This millennial generation, which is going to have to carry some heavy burdens into the future unless we fix some of these entitlement uh, programs, they really haven't seen what prosperity is and what good opportunity is. They should start to see it uh, shortly, and as long as you get the government off the backs of business people, which Obama put on and President Trump is taking off, 
You'll allow yeah. the system to work the way it's supposed to. Everybody benefits. Absolutely. Yeah. 100, 100%. Um, Josh, did you want to add to that? I mean, that that pretty much sums up my, my little rant there. I, didn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to go on for too long. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, um, I, I do want to say, um, Michael, um, I want to get – so get into a little bit more about your, um, you know, personal, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, your background. We have a few minutes yeah. left uh, with you, about, you know, five, ten minutes left, but I do want to um, – actually about five minutes left, but I do want to talk, you know, about what you're doing, your projects, uh, the big stuff you have going on. Uh, please tell us. Yeah. So um, most of what I'm doing now, I'm working on a book eventually. I'm not quite ready to start writing it, but um, so um, what I wanted, what I want to do is um, uh, promote the principles of free market economics. And I believe in every instance um, where free market economics comes into play, everybody benefits. Um, it doesn't mean we, we, we're going to ignore a social responsibility. It just means we'll have a minimum social responsibility and we'll encourage people to take individual responsibility, take responsibility for them, themselves. So I've been writing about that um, as much as possible, speaking on as many uh, shows and things as I can about this. I'm also a, a very strong supporter of President Trump. Um, I, I, everything that he does, I believe, um, is consistent with trying to move the country forward, trying to be fair, uh, and trying to provide for as many people as possible without giving people handouts, but rather providing opportunity. I think President Trump is going to be able to do that. I'd like to get involved with uh, pushing that narrative forward um, as much as possible. And that's the kind of things I've been working on really since the eighties. I thought after Reagan got uh, elected and put all this stuff in that the country was on the right course. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, things changed in the last 10 years. And I had to get a little more uh, in, involved to try to get some of these free market principles um, out and have as many people exposed to them as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one one hundred percent. And you know, it's um. So you have you have all you have you have you have, you have you've written a couple of books before though. Uh, I, I do have two two books I've written. One um, is on uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. Um, another one, um, I'm a, a a founding member of an organization called the World Association for Sustainable Development. We're about fifteen years years old. It's um, mostly trying to uh, provide knowledge to less than developed countries, mostly in uh, Africa years ago, some in the Middle, Middle East and uh, some in, in, in Asia. Um, so I spend a lot of time getting involved with, with, uh, with that um, and, uh, you know, trying to help really the, the country move forward. And, uh, you know, that'll spill over and have the world move, move forward too. If we can just get, um, on the right track and understand about uh, the concept of freedom and how freedom in people's lives and with the responsibility that comes with that, but freedom in people's lives, freedom in the marketplace, um, we all end up um, better off. And that's the kind of things I'm trying to promote. 
Absolutely, 100%. And, you know, what you're doing right now is who you're currently writing for, you know, you've appeared on several media outlets, but who are you You're currently yeah. writing for? Uh, Lizette um, um, and uh, uh, the Town uh, Hall and, and Newsmax. And, uh, Newsmax, uh, Newsmax. Yeah, I had one published today on Newsmax uh, talking about the tariffs. Um, if you're interested, I, I do have um, a web page on Facebook. Uh, it's called okay. Funding Democracy. So if you're on okay. Facebook, search Funding Democracy, Economics of Freedom, Funding Democracy. And my last probably two or 300 columns um, will pop up there with links on how to, how to read them if anybody's interested in what I have to say. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. And wherever anybody can find you, your website, give us all that information. Yeah, so, so um, I'm also on Muckrake. So if you go to Muckrake, you can uh, search there. Um, the Facebook and my Twitter account, uh, the Facebook, again, is Funding Democracy. Search that. My Twitter account is at mbustler, and all of my columns are posted on my uh, Twitter page, too. Um, so if you're interested in following about um, uh, views about how free market economics would work and all of my opinions – uh, are based on freedom uh, in the marketplace and a uh, small role of, for government. Now, I, I don't say no role for, for government, so I understand government does have a role, but keep the right. role of government small, keep the level of taxation low, try to balance the budget, which is a problem we still have to, to deal with. Make sure everybody has enough to at least get by with the opportunity uh, to, to earn more. We can't give away too much to, to people because when you give them too much, then they lose the incentive to earn it them, themselves, and then they become dependent. They lose their freedom, and it messes up the whole system. Uh, so that's the kind of things that I, I write about and those places I just spoke about. You can, If anybody has an interest, they can t take a look at uh, how I view a lot of these topics. I talk about minimum wage, uh, what a bad idea that is. Um, I talk about free trade. I talk about, uh, I have my own ideas for uh, a way to fix the tax system. I even have some ideas that uh, put free market economics into the healthcare system too. And I think putting some of those free market concepts in um, will help solve a lot of the problems that we have today. So I've written all about it. If anybody has an interest, just uh, go to one of those pages and find out all about me. Absolutely. Do you mind if I ask something real quick? Sure. Yeah, and then, yeah, absolutely. And then we'll, we're gonna we have to get to our next guest. Yeah, but go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I'll, I'll go real fast. Hey, I I just didn't know if you are are you familiar with uh, fee dot org at all? What is it called? SEC? No, fee Foundation for Economic Education dot org. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I, I, in fact, I just, I've even uh, published on that website. That's all. I just got done with three of their conferences this year, so you're just uh, re, you know, resending a lot of what they said. So uh, I'm yeah. glad to hear that yeah. you're a part of them. I'm in complete agreement with what they're they're saying. And real awesome. quick, uh, and real quick, Dr. Michael Bussler, real quick before you go, you know, you're a you're an economics expert. Within 30 seconds, you absolutely agree with Trump's tariffs, right? I, I, I'm a free market economist. I'd rather no tariffs, but what he's doing now, I completely agree with. It creates a sense of urgency. It will bring people to the 
the, the table who have been ripping us off for years, creating that sense of urgency, bringing them to the table. We're going to get this problem resolved instead of doing what every other president has done, kick the can down the road and let the next guy worry about it. Yes, I agree with everything. Well, well said, uh, sir. We love having you on the show. show. Uh, My we're gonna pleasure. Have you back very, we're going to have you back very soon. We'll even have you back next week because, uh, you know, we Terrific. have a lot more to talk to you about. You've uh, been a great guest, uh, and we really appreciate all your insight and knowledge. And uh, it's, it's, been, it's been wonderful. Great. It truly has. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure, too. I look forward to being with you again. All righty. We'll, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, have a great night. Right. Um, have a good rest thank of the you. week, and uh, cheers, man. Thank you. Take care. All righty. Michael Bustler, everybody. My next guest I would like to introduce is a very successful guy, very successful. He has a long resume. He's a businessman investor, legislator, political advisor, presidential elector for Donald Trump and Mike Pence, president of the Arizona Republican Assembly, legislative district chairman, member of the Maricopa County Executive Guidance Committee, candidate for AZ GOP state party chairman, Arizona GOP member at large, and activist Jim O'Connor. How are you, sir? Rory, good evening. A delight to be uh, your guest. Well, it's great to have you on. Um, you know, as you know, I uh, saw you speak this weekend uh, when I was at the uh, Joe Arpaio event. Uh, you did an amazing job. I was very impressed with your background. You have a, a, a novel of a resume. I mean, you've done a lot in business uh, with helping building brands and building corporations. Uh, you've done a, different, a lot of different stuff in politics. Uh, you've been all over the map, but you've been very successful, and uh, you know you've been around the block. You've, uh, you've it's what ha- what haven't you done? <laughs> well, I, I want to moderate that uh, comment about successful. Uh, you did mention in your introduction of me the uh, amount of time. You didn't say it as a length of time, but all of those Republican titles and activities that I've been engaging in have been here in Arizona over the last 12 years since I've been retired from my business career. So, um, yeah, so my so mission. Please tell, yeah, please tell us everything. Start, tell us the business career, political career. I want to hear all about it. Uh, I want to hear just the backstory of everything. Well, let's take the most relevant first, and that's my work for the Arizona Republican Party at the district level, the Maricopa County level, uh, and at the state P level. Um, I had this um, concept in mind that we needed to keep our republic, which is what Dr. Ben Franklin admonished Mrs. Elizabeth Powell so many years ago at at the beginning of our, our nation. And um, I saw that fight as uh, the previous president took office in 2008 and uh, recognized that I needed to, uh, maybe I was retired early so I could enter the fray and do my part to keep our republic. So as a lifelong Republican, it struck me that perhaps keeping the republic 
could be done within the context of the Republican Party. So I began to devote a lot of my time and use all those talents that I had accumulated over the years, as well as a lot of the funding that I was able to de- derive over the years to, uh, to further that goal. Uh, and that is an area where, where I will say, looking back, although we had some moments of celebration, uh, I would not describe them as successful. Uh, probably the culmination of the success would be with the election now um, two years ago or almost two years ago of President Donald Trump. And uh, that was finally America waking up and getting back to basics. But what we all know intuitively is even though he's a great example of a guy with a whole lot of energy in his early 70s, Um, He can't do it all. And um, the fight, in my experience, within the Republican Party, and Rory, you and I talked about this uh, just a little bit on Saturday afternoon there at midday when we met each other, that that, um, the um, the battle is within the Republican Party. It's we the people, the grassroots versus the establishment Republicans. And uh, we can see illustrations of that uh, throughout the state right now. Uh, We've got political races. Um, I I think someone told me there were 270 political races uh, throughout the state in this non-presidential election year cycle. And we've got establishment Republicans uh, playing dirty tricks on grassroots people um, that are younger, that are interested in serving, that are putting their hat in the ring, and their signatures are challenged, and their um, it is I I don't want to get into it because I I'd really like to talk about um, where, where I decided to dedicate my time and do a a great value added to everybody in the state of Arizona in a spot on the Arizona Corporation Commission, that invisible enterprise in our state that touches the lives of absolutely everyone, every citizen in Arizona, without respect to party, pays for essential services, water, electric power, and uh, those are monopoly businesses in our state, They are regulated by the Arizona Corporation Commission, and unfortunately, in the last dozen years or more, that commission has been plagued with scandal. And I don't want to get into the weeds on who did what to who when. That isn't useful or productive. But there's a lot of different there's a lot of different stories going around about who did what to. I mean, it's so corrupt. That's the word. The keynote is corruption. And my entire reputation in the investment advisory industry where I operated for 42 years, um, I, we, that practice nationwide requires licensing at the federal level and the state level and even within the industry itself through trade groups, trade associations. I'm thinking yeah. the national – Association of Securities Dealers. If a practitioner gets their license pulled for 
illegal activity, they're out of business. They no longer get to practice in that trade. And that's the industry that I grew up in and um, I cut my teeth on. And, and my the, the motto of the industry when I was a bond trader back in 1969 in, in on Wall Street in New York City um, was your word is your – and it had to be because we were dealing daily on the phone just like the conversation you and I are having right now um, where we would be confirming the purchase and sale of tens of millions of dollars of securities in a simple phone call. And uh, if we had a discrepancy in the price, that would be known in the industry as a fail or a failure um, when one side of the trade took, well, I bought them at 100 and the other side said, no, I sold them at 101, that would be considered a fail. But the industry for decades had such a sterling reputation, there was never a fail. And that was uh, a point of pride for everybody who worked in that industry. Oh, so I, I am, I am, the, I am the, the, the ground zero for anti-corruption. And I want to bring that discipline to the Arizona Corporation Commission in this upcoming Republican primary uh, two months and one week away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming up, um, you know, and I, I like, you know, you, I like everything you're doing. And, you know, please, you know, you, you obviously have a long history in the political realm, and I'm going to get to that. I want to ask you about that. But I want you to please tell the audience, you know, you've had a long, successful business career. Please, you know, how it started, you know, all your different ventures, You've built, you've grown and built several companies. Um, so enlighten us. I, I you know, I was, uh, it, it was pretty incredible. Some of the stuff you said on, uh, at the speech the other day. Well, I, I, I've got to discipline myself on not taking people down the, uh, down the rabbit holes because a 42 year career is a very long time. And there've been uh, a lot of transactions and a lot of involvements and business investments. And, uh, Sometimes business and investments weren't successful, but what I learned about myself and I think about other human beings as well is we often learn more from our failures in life than we do from our successes. You know, if we right. go out and hit the long ball and make a million bucks, we think it's all us. If we go out and we lose a million bucks, we really have to examine everything. And when we do that, we have an opportunity to grow and change. And uh, I find, um, I have found over my 42-year career that, that that certainly holds true time and time again. I mentioned the date 1969. I got my first job uh, with the Wall Street firm as a bond trader. Uh, and um, I stayed with that company for Two years after working in New York, they had an opening in their institutional sales department in Los Angeles, California. So for a native New Yorker to leave Manhattan after uh, all 24 years of living and then be transferred out to the firm's Los Angeles office, I literally thought I died and gone to heaven. Out with the galoshes, out with the umbrellas, out with the raincoats, 
uh, and the hats and into uh, we still wore suits and ties to work every day, but that was back in the early 1970s. But I enjoyed Los Angeles for 15 years, uh, and then by the mid-'80s, it had gotten so densely populated where my 20-minute commute to work turned into a 45-minute commute to work and, and just continued to worsen. We had the era of road rage in California. You may be too young, Rory, to have uh, lived through it, but you may have read about it where uh, people just driving around on the California freeways would be shooting at one another in rush hour traffic uh, with real guns. So uh, it was just part of the, you know, the deterioration of that amazing city. So my, my wife knew that I was very... Um, uh, I've kind of had it with L.A. by the 1999 and 2000. Uh, my wife uh, grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona, where we now live. And um, yeah, so after I'm 10 in, years, yeah, very nice. 10 years there, we moved out to uh, to uh, Scottsdale in, in the year 2000. We've been here for the last 18 years. And, you know, with – I know you've made certain investments, and I know you've done, you know, various things. Um, you know, please share some. Please share a little bit. Well, I, I'd i like to bring the experience to more recent and more relevant. So we'll talk about, let's say, from the 1990s uh, on. That's ancient enough history for most. But in, in 1981 – uh, I founded a small investment advisory practice. And when I say small, we only had 14 employees. But we did manage $1.4 billion in public fund assets. We had 112 uh, local governments, whether they were school districts, county portfolios, uh, bridge and port authorities, tunnels, airports, et cetera, in California, throughout California and Nevada. And we uh, managed that very, very successfully. We, my partner and I sold the firm in 2001, and um, we, we were able to uh, retire. I stay on with the law firm that we sold our investment practice to for 10 years as a consultant uh, to help them transition the book of business and the relationships and uh, it to be a very, very profitable experience for them uh, and for us. So it was certainly a, a win-win. But that um, sale allowed me to uh, consider a move out of California, which was a, uh, I jokingly referred to as the great escape uh, to be out of California and here in God's country in Arizona. And I have just enjoyed and invested here in the state uh, over uh, over these last 18 years, been an incredibly rich experience. Yeah, very very impressive, very impressive, very impressive. And you know, at, at this point, um, you know, you're are you do are you doing are you still mixing? You know, what you're doing politically with what you're doing business? Are you doing a lot of different stuff no. at this point? No, uh, not really. As a matter of fact, um, one of the very first things I did when I came to Arizona 
and I was now uh, consulting for my investment advisory firm. That didn't require anywhere near the 60-plus hours a week that I had put in building the business. So uh, I had time on my hands. And uh, up at church, um, the uh, pastor suggested that if any – if any of the uh, older folks, and I was only 54 at the time, but that was older, enough for his purposes. He said, if any of you are interested, we're offering enrichment classes at Phoenix Seminary uh, here in downtown Phoenix. So yeah. um, I had time on my hands. I thought that was a splendid idea. Went down there, fell in love with the coursework and the wonderful people involved. Uh, and literally spent from 2002 to 2006, four years, taking every course the seminary offered, save for the languages of Hebrew and Greek. I'm not gifted in language, so I just avoided uh, that struggle. But as for uh, all of the other coursework, uh, I did take that. I was not enrolled matriculating in the seminary. I was not interested in a uh, in a degree of any kind. So I just wanted to, uh, as they call the classes, enrichment classes. But we were in the classroom with the young men and women that were being trained to lead churches and parachurch ministries. And I wound up helping a number of them uh, by serving on their boards and helping them with the business and the banking and the other um, material things that go along with operating a church or a parachurch ministry. And uh, I did that for quite a number of years, and I remain on the board of a pastoring ministry uh, called Graceline Ministries, uh, operated by Dr. Fred Shea, C-H-A-Y. He is now at Grace Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas, but he uh, is mentoring people uh, all over the country. Wow, I've been on that board for over 10 years. It's a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, work in the uh, what we call kingdom purposes in the Christian community. So, and, and obviously, you know, you've been, uh, you, you know, you all these different political positions you've had in Arizona. I mean, that's big stuff. I mean, you've done you've done a lot with in, in the political section. I mean, I, I'm seeing all your your resume. And, uh, you know, you how, how long have you been in Arizona politics for? Uh, of the 18 years here in the state, I've been very involved to the tune of 40 to 50 hours a week of donated volunteer time. No, but how long have you been in 12? How long have you been in 12? 12 years. 12 okay. years. 12, right. Gotcha. So 2000, 2006 to now. Okay, and can you like you know this is I would I would love you to do this. Can you like your res, your resume from when you started until now from uh, Air, with Arizona politics? Like sure, and I, I I'd be happy to relate a story uh, of of how I how I got involved or solicited as it were for the work. My my. Uh, I had a very young son who you met on Saturday, by the way. Uh, if uh, I think I turned around and introduced you to him. He was uh, very young when we moved out here. And um, 
I enrolled him in uh, Scottsdale Christian Academy down in Phoenix on Tatum Boulevard. And um, very interested in, in getting him uh, deep in the faith as early as possible. So um, met a lot of wonderful people through Scottsdale Christian Academy. And um, one of them happened to be a member of our state legislature at the time in the Scottsdale district. And uh, she gave me a call, found me in the parents' handbook, and uh, called up and said, uh, I, I really want to persuade you to get involved in Republican Party politics. And I looked back as a classic business guy that had never delved deep into the political space at all. Uh, again, lifelong Republican sent a lot of money to everybody with a red T-shirt on and a good st- story, but no maturity, no depth, no real understanding of the game of political theater. And um, she suggested that I come to a legislative district, and I did that. I attended my first one back in 2006, and I marveled at the the discord and the battle and the angst within the party among its members. Um, yeah. And that was quite befuddling to me. And this is a dozen years ago. It's only gotten worse. Uh, but yeah. during that time, I got to see and learn from the sidelines. I got a lot of expert coaching. And I mean, it didn't take me long to land on the grassroots side of the party because that's what the founders envisioned. That's what they gave us a republic if we could keep it. And we are, we're a self-governing people or we were, or we need to be again. So I became very actively involved in the district, again, volunteering, meeting, finding out how the court system worked. Um, I had the wonderful experience just a year ago of serving for four months on the Maricopa County Grand Jury. Now, I know a lot of working people couldn't afford that kind of time. Uh, That's two full days a week, all day, uh, downtown for all of $10 a day, which didn't quite even cover the parking costs. But it was quite an experience about how our criminal justice system works and how it doesn't work uh, and uh, how um, Maricopa County in, in large part runs a very, very ship-shaped court system. The uh, recently retired clerk of the court, Michael Jeans, uh, did um, a phenomenal job with that court system. It was it operated like a business. That was a pleasure uh, to see. And the justice yeah. courts that come under that jurisdiction as well, very, very impressed as a business guy. So there, we, we have a lot of good parts of our government, but those tend to be the business-related parts of our government, with the exception of the one that I'm looking at now, the Arizona Corporation Commission. There we have politicians that seem to have been attracted to this business position, but they're acting more like politicians than business people. Instead of using common sense and doing the right thing to benefit all of the people, 
there's kind of an attitude by so many of what's in it for me. Is this a good stepping stone to my political career? Well, this candidate is a candidate, not a politician, a citizen, not a politician, a business guy, not a politician, who just wants to run one time, serve four years, and do the right thing, and then retire. No interest in a political career whatsoever. And having chosen or electing to run as a clean election candidate, and having just filed those $5 contribution forms Tuesday of this week since I saw you last, that burden is now behind me. So I've got my signatures. I've got over 8,600 signatures. I've got wow, um, nice, m- yeah, more than adequate coverage in excess of the 1,500 required $5 contribution forms um, done. And uh, I'm expecting my funding uh, by the end of this month. And that will give me a good two months to campaign vigorously with adequate capital. And then if I'm fortunate enough to finish in the top two in the Republican primary, and I say top two because we have two open seats on our five-member commission, so we will be electing two Republicans, two Democrats, and then there'll be the classic runoff, two against two, in the general election in uh, November, on November 6th, actually. So um, the clean elections will uh, contribute $108,000 to my primary campaign at the end of this month, and that'll be enough to do uh, advertising of my candidacy statewide for the next two months. And then if I finish in the top two, we'll provide $163,000 additional to run in the general election, which will be during the months of September and October in the first week in November. Uh, and then it's, and then it's all over. And at that point, I do hope to be serving and sworn into office in January of next year. Very nice. Very nice. And, you know, it sounds like you're in a, a very good position. Um, Josh, I know you have a question. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you honestly just gave me a, you know, a, a great uh, pitch to hit a home run with talking about positioning. I had a question. So I'm a 20-year-old uh, who really wants to run uh, for political office in the next, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 years, I let's say, 10 to 15 years. Uh, what would you recommend me doing now? And I'm talking about, you know, today practical versus, you know, what any advice you'd have for me to be able to position myself uh, to be able to, you know, win an office or at least make, you know, a dent. Well, I, w- I would encourage you first to kind of do exactly what I did. And, and we're uh, – 50 years apart in age, uh, but but I don't feel that in a in a sense of bringing the action, bringing myself to the action and getting involved. What I did recently, I mentioned earlier on the call, I spent four years in the early 2000s in seminary because that was material I had never learned in life. So I was learning, and then. 
the reason for my many, many jobs, the best way to learn something on the job training is to volunteer for it. And then you're in the middle of it and you're learning on the job. So I learned the way the districts work with each other and work with the county parties and how the county parties interwork and how that fits with the state party and how the elected officials of the same party relate with the party itself. Do they dominate the party or is the party strong? In our case, we've got a very weak Republican Party as a party because the uh, the federal congressional delegation, the senators and the congressmen, uh, basically command and control the Arizona political party to their benefit and their service. That's why you get all these strong biases rather than party building for the sake of let's build the organization. Because if we build the organization and really allow the voice of the people to be expressed through the organization, it would likely be quite critical of elected officials who have veered from the wonderful conservative Republican Party platform that was passed at the Trump convention in the summer of 2016. We have the most conservative Republican Party platform existence of the history of the party. So um, I wish we had half our elected officials following that standard of, well, number one, following the Constitution, and number two, following the ideals uh, of that, that are expressed in the Republican Party platform. We don't have that. So I picked up training along the way, Josh. I went to uh, training at an organization called the Center for Self-Governance, uh, and that was a real mind-changing paradigm shift for me because the way my lifetime went in terms of learning about everything is somebody older than me and experienced would teach me and share with me, um, and I'll say as a euphemism, the way the world works. Well, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was being misinformed through much of, not all of it, but through much of that. And I had no ability to really get get under the hood with my own, but I will tell you, I took uh, all level, they have five levels of this Center for Self-Governance Training, and I would advise that for every American citizen. And, and were I in a powerful enough position, I would mandate that for every man and woman who ever wanted to serve in a, on a city council, on a county board of supervisors, in a state legislature. The, you need to understand that we Americans are a self-governing people, right? That the government exists to protect the rights of its citizens. That's why government exists. And, and unfortunately, if you go down to City Hall, you're going to get, you know, the gladhanders conning you all day long about, oh, no, they're making good decisions for you. They'll take good care of you. Not to worry. Just give us an extra 10 bucks a month. Oh, make it 100 bucks a month. And we've been falling for that for 100 years. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Wow, that I mean, that's really insightful. I guess one 
One follow-up question I'd have was, as a 20-year-old, do you think – Maybe not as a 20-year-old, but in general, what would you – so my, my goal is to eventually get to a state uh, representative, be uh, able to get to a seat like that. What would you recommend as a seat, something to run for earlier on, maybe you know, in the next five years instead of ten, where I could position myself you know, much more local, smaller office – and obviously, and I'm definitely going to look in uh, to those courses you were talking about. That sounds fantastic. Um, so I'm definitely going to look well, well, into because, that. Because um, that, that, is, that is going to give you the benefit of being able to discern what's right from what's wrong in political uh, in, in in the political theater, because the the word that we're all told all the time we've we've got to compromise. We've got to compromise. We've got to compromise. And, and that's incorrect. We, we have got a duty. When we take an oath of office to an elected position, we, we must follow the Constitution, the federal Constitution. The, if we're a state, a state officer, the, the, the federal and the state constitutions, we take a pledge to those documents. And a correct interpretation is mandatory to understand how to do the job. So when you get a bad bill, let's say you're in one of these bodies and a bad bill is introduced by a fellow conservative, you can go to that person and say, hey, Charlie, do do you really, did you think about that? Look at the implications of this against our Constitution. Or against our party platform. Why would we be creating a program that's essentially unconstitutional? Why would you even think about that? That isn't the proper role of government. Government ought not be doing that. Because otherwise, it's kind of, you've heard that old expression, maybe the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Everybody that gets Mm. into office, oh, they want to do good if they... They, they're finally in charge. They can vote. They can influence. They can move money to start new programs and look at how many people are going to be helped. Well, you know what? The churches should have been doing that. The Boys Amen. and Girls Club should have been Amen. doing that. There are other entities in citizenship that will come to the rescue there. doesn't have to be the government, the solution to everything. I will. So, so if you get that early on, and, and candidly, I think a young man like yourself, you, you could get that nailed in in six months. You, you could probably do what took me years because they space these courses out. Now it's a it's a much bigger organization. I think you may even be able to get access to it online and and listen to the lectures and do the testing online. Uh, and get through the program, but boy, once you have command of that, you are a powerhouse. I, I let me share with you fellows a, a story that happened to me very, very early on, and I didn't think much of it until I finally understood enough about government and how it works to appreciate what a very old man said to me probably 12 years ago. One of my legislators in my legislative district, 23, which is Scottsdale, Fountain Hills, 
at Rio Verde, um, invited me down to the University Club in downtown Phoenix. Uh, it's a prestigious old club in a little house in a historic neighborhood. Hey, just, just, just an FYI, we have about. I just want to say we have about five minutes left. Um, but I, I want you to continue with the story. But I know uh, uh, my other co-host has a couple of questions for you as well, and I want to ask a couple other things. Uh, okay, I, I'll be quick with this. So uh, we're in a little wine and cheese party at the university club, and uh, this fellow saunters up to me and says, well, who are you and what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm just a constituent of my state representative, and she suggested I you know, come down and observe and, and see. And uh, he says, so you're not buying anything, you're not selling anything, you're not a lobbyist, you're not trying to make any money on anything. And then he looks at me and said, you could be dangerous. And I thought that was the oddest of comments. I mean, truly socially awkward or just odd. It was years later, after I was taking Center for Self-Governance training, if you are a citizen with a pure motive, willing to offer your time, talent, and treasure to serve your fellow citizens, even on a volunteer basis, to get elected office, we, the people, are dangerous. And those in the political space, the lobbyists and the elected that are in there, serving themselves in their political careers will understand that. Yeah, exposed. Yeah, they spoke yeah, absolutely. You absolutely make a great point. Hi, this is Yadi from New York. Uh, So I really never was a fan of Republican or Democrat. I'm just not a party person. Uh, I support uh, Trump, and I support the Republican Party now, kind of. Uh, But if everything – we came back to its roots. Everything became "quote unquote" great, not necessarily perfect. What do you think, or when will that happen? To where you know, like we we don't have career politicians, and you know everybody is start to self govern and things of that nature. Like basically, the game of politics is done. Like because I think politics is just a big game, you know. And like what what will we have to look forward to? Like what would be there, you know, if all this stuff is done? Like what? What? What will the politicians do now that are elected? Basically, after everything. Well, I, I think I think my response to give you a, a valuable response, it, it will be somewhat metaphysical. Minutes, we have about two minutes left. Okay, it, it will be somewhat metaphysical in nature. God gave us Earth to try out on, and heaven to live forever in. It's going to be perfect when we get to heaven. And we're all going to get there a whole lot sooner than we think because time flies. Uh, Only with age do you get to say that. But every day it's flying by. So the the perfect is going to come after this life. But in the meantime, I agree with you. I am a Republican because I have to be. Uh, It's a Republican of, of necessity because the other party is completely lost. They they've got nothing of value, and they've gone, and, so, uh, they've gone so far left it's it's insanity. Re- exactly exactly correct. So we, yeah. I don't think we ever purify the Republican Party, and and I right. wouldn't give the 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 party 
at any level yeah. a dime. I would give right. candidates that you have vetted and support right. them individually directly with your contribution to get the party right. party stuff. The, the, it'll get in the wrong hands. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well said. Um, you know, we, we really, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. We're going to have you back on very, again very soon, uh, next week or the week after. Um, what I want you to do, though, is uh, if you have any where people can find you, your website, um, any, any promotion yep. stuff you want to put out, go ahead. Right. The website is O'ConnorAZ.com, and I'll spell that. O C O N N O R A Z dot com. And uh, technically, when you spell my name, there's an apostrophe between the O and the C, but that is not necessary in the web address. I just yesterday taped a uh, a new tape for that website, uh, which right. is a little bit of a change up. I just finished the period of collecting these 8,600 signatures. And uh, very good. And the five dollar, almost seventeen hundred five dollar contributions, and that first one addressed that. So the site will be changing within the next few days. Perfect. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you, and uh, you know, I, I really, I really do want to thank you. Um, for, for coming on, Jim. Jim O'Connor, everybody. Uh, all Very insightful, very knowledgeable, and we're rooting for you. You're going to win, and you're going to do a hell of a job. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. We'll, we'll have you back on soon. Cheers, sir. Thank you. All right, everybody. What a great show it's been. We have about a minute left. I uh, do want to say, you know, there's uh, some, you know, there's there's big things going on. There's a lot of big things. ICE just raided an Ohio meat meat packing plant today and arrested 146 illegals. I mean, ICE is doing a hell of a job of cracking down on, uh, uh, you know, all this crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, I just want to call out. Um, you know, the uh, Peter Fonda, who's an actor, who made a very ignorant and disrespectful comment about Baron Trump, um, you know, very sickening if people want to go look what he wrote, but uh, just goes to show uh, how leftists and liberals, uh, you know, the language they use about little kids, it's disgusting uh, what he said. but uh, and I also want to say, uh, you know, there is thing going on um, with, you know, the this investigation. I mean, now uh, we're going to find out more with Peter Stork and the FBI and the DOJ uh, as the week goes on. I'm sure we're going to have a, a lot more information tomorrow for all of you. Um, there's some stuff I did not get to tonight that obviously I will get to tomorrow. Um, you know, the, you know, there, there's just, there's so much. Um, and, you know, I can't wait. And uh, obviously, uh, Josh, um, you know, I'll let you give your plugs. Go ahead where they can, people can find you as always, my co-host. 
Yeah, real quick, uh, follow me up on Instagram at J-O-S-H-H-L-A-V-A-T-Y. Awesome. And Gianni? Follow me at Gianni Rodriguez-Paris. That's again, Gianni Rodriguez-Paris. And uh, everybody knows where where to find me. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Visit uh, thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. Again, that's thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. Visit rorysodder.tv. And visit getyourappbuilt.com. Again, that's getyourappbuilt.com. We have our new news media site, The Next Gen USA, coming out very soon. I'm still working on it. I know there's a delay. I know I've been talking about it. Um, but it's coming, and everybody's going to love it. Um, I want to thank all of my audience for tuning in tonight. Um, it's been an amazing show. Uh, we're going to have another amazing show for you tomorrow, uh, and we're going to bring a lot more, uh, maybe a lot more topics to discuss. And um, like I said, I'll get to uh, tomorrow night what I didn't get to tonight. So um, God bless you all. Um, have a great night, everybody. Again, thank you for listening to the Rory Sodder Show. I'm Rory Sodder. Cheers, everyone. Talk to you tomorrow. I was more than six seconds.